and the game plan that Dan Hurley and his staff laid out was executed to perfection tonight. They went wire to wire and they went at 88 to 65. Yes, sir. UConn is elite once again, back in the Elite Eight for the 12th time in their history. First time since 2014. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian DiNovellis. The table is set. UConn versus Gonzaga, two storied programs. They have become really mirror images of each other in terms of their growth, right? We're talking about late 90s, around 2000. UConn and Gonzaga, over the past two decades, they are as good as it gets in college basketball. They have become the modern blue bloods. Now, there is one little difference. Of course, you know it. UConn has been to the mountaintop and climbed to the top of Mount Everest and survived and won four national championships. Gonzaga has come close twice. 2017, 2021, Mark Few and company have never won a national championship. Other than that, that is the difference. And okay, so it's a big deal, right? You have to close the deal. Is this the year that Mark Few and Gonzaga win a national championship? I told you in my last episode, that's the team I picked. So if you're asking me who's going to win this game, I'm going to go with Gonzaga. But if I throw my pool sheet out and you ask me, Bri, who's going to win this game? I'm going with UConn. But I have to stick with my pick. We're going to get to the preview in a little bit. Uh, we're also on this episode going to talk to Fred Hill. He has a big event coming up once again called the Basketball Reunion at the Prudential Center. And Freddie will join me a little bit later. I want to begin with UConn because these Huskies are clicking. I mean, they are just bludgeoning teams. They are now 14-0 and against non-conference teams. Let me repeat, 14-0 and against non-Big East teams. And I'm going to get this right out there. This UConn team reminds me of who? Seton Hall fans, you know who I'm talking about. The 1989 Seton Hall team that got within a whisker, a John Cloggerty swallow your whistle moment from being national champions. And here's how they remind me of that team. That Seton Hall team went 31 and seven. They beat everyone in the non-conference that year. Seven losses. Six of them were to Big East teams. The seventh loss came in the national championship. UConn has not lost to any team other than in the Big East. In the preseason, right? Remember, I think they were like 11-0 or 13-0 going into that game against Georgetown. Nationally ranked against nationally ranked Georgetown. And they beat Georgetown. I mean, they were beating everyone that year. They won the Great Alaska Shootout. They beat Utah. They beat Kansas. They beat Kentucky. Then they went to some, uh, you know, cable car classic. No, what was it? The Sugar Bowl classic in New Orleans. And they beat two more teams. I think they beat DePaul. They beat Virginia. They were beating everyone and beating them by double digits, just like who? UConn, right? Because UConn was doing the same thing in the preseason. 
they were beating Alabama, Oregon, Iowa State by double digits. Their closest game before the Big East season was by 10 points, and that was to Oklahoma State. And then, of course, the postseason starts, and they beat Iona by double digits. They beat St. Mary's by double digits. They beat Arkansas by double digits. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw my tweet. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, please give me a follow, at Brian Dino. All right? A little self, selfish plug there. But UConn is averaging, all right, 14 non-conference wins. They are averaging wins in those 14 games by 25 points. All right? Their average margin of victory in those games is 25 points. Seton Hall was doing the same thing back in 1989. Now, for UConn fans, I hope it ends differently and you win a national championship. But look at the positions, too. You have a dominant post player in Adama Sinogo and a big front line as well with other guys who are, who are chipping in, like Caravan, like Jackson, and, of course, a backup center in Donovan Klingon. Seton Hall had a massive front line with Ramon Ramos, future NBA player, dominant first team all Big East. Daryl Walker, his wingman. You had guys coming off the bench who, I get it, they weren't 7-2 like Klingon, but they could throw Michael Cooper, Franz Volsi. They had dudes that could come in there. They had height. They had physicality just like this UConn front line. This UConn team obviously has a star in Jordan Hawkins. Now, I can't compare him to anyone on that Seton Hall team, but I'll tell you what, John Morton and Andrew Gaze were pretty damn good shooters back in their day before the three-point line got, you know, where it is today. That was like the beginning of the three-point line back then. And Andrew Gaze was an international star and a shooter. So there are comparisons to that Seton Hall team and what they did in conference and out of conference to this UConn team. They really do remind me a lot of one another. UConn just checked all the boxes against Arkansas. They had to come out to a fast start against Iona and against St. Mary's. You saw what happened. Jordan Hawkins didn't score in the first half. He was in foul trouble against St. Mary's, was scoreless in both of those games. Danny Hurley wanted to make it a point to get him the ball early, get him shots. They did just that. Hawkins had 10 points by halftime, finished with 24. UConn dictated tempo. I mean, this game was furious. UConn played fast, but they were in control. Arkansas played fast and out of control. They're a fast team, but it just seemed like they were not under control. The pace of this game favored UConn. They were much more comfortable playing in this game. And the play that really showed me that UConn was on. Arkansas had the ball. It might've been a five-point game early on. Alex Caravan gets the steal and boom, like a laser, throws a baseball pass in stride 
to Jackson, turns, lobs it, alley-oop. Donovan Klingen, slam. I was like, wow, wow. That is the way you draw it up and practice. That's the way you practice it. That's the way you execute it. I mean, they were awesome. UConn led by 17 at the half. Iona, they trailed at the half. St. Mary's, they barely led by one. This one was a no-doubter. UConn led by 17, and, and I'm like, this game is over. And I know, okay, you still have another half to play, but what did they do in the second half, the first five minutes? They open up with a 16-4 to run in the first five minutes. The lead goes from 17 to 29, and it never got under 20 the rest of the way. Dominating. They never let the Razorbacks even breathe, never let them into this game. They got Jordan Hawkins involved. They controlled tempo. They got production from the bench. Aline, Klingon, and Calcaterra combined for 20 points. This was a total team effort. And look, there were some moments leading up to this game. All right. UConn faced obstacles. I'm sure you heard on the broadcast that it's Ramadan, if you didn't know, and it's a month-long holy month for Muslims. Well, UConn has three Muslims on this team. Sonogo, Hassan Diera, and Samson Johnson. And they were fasting. And Sonogo, as a starter, what does that mean? It means no food, no water, nothing from sunrise to sundown right in the middle of this game. Not even a drop, not even like put put a little, you know, drip, nothing. And all Sonogo did was hit nine of 11 shots for 18 points. And he was asked after the game, like how he was able to overcome this. And his, his answer was like, look, man, I've been doing it since I was in high school. I'm used to this. He is a man of faith. He believes in his faith. He believes in his faith as a Muslim. And he, he credited his mother, that his mother calls him and says, hey, how are you doing? You're fasting? You feeling okay? And that is his motivation. Nothing, not even a drop of water. So look, he's used to it. But just an amazing performance under those circumstances. Adama Sinogo has been the MVP of UConn in this tournament. And now you have Hawkins and Sonogo clicking at the same time, and that is what you get. And now we have Gonzaga against UConn, a rematch of 1999 when the Huskies won their first national championship in the West Regional Final. Oh, and that's another thing, right? Seton Hall came out of the West in 1989, and here's UConn coming out of the West. That's another comparison between those two teams. So now, how is UConn going to match up with Gonzaga. And is Hurley surprised by any of this? After the game, Hurley was asked by a reporter if he thought this is where the team was supposed to be. And here's what he had to say. I'm just proud of the way that we've built this thing. We've built this with, with classy individuals, um, you know, and, and Luke and Kamani and Tom. But, you know, I've got, I got three guys that are head coach caliber that have helped me build this. And we got just an incredible group of players. So um, yeah, we get the right type of people and we got great culture. And we're, we're right where we thought we'd be. Look, we know Dan Hurley. He made that now famous quote 
following the loss to Villanova during UConn's return to the Big East. UConn lost the game to Villanova, and Hurley's like, look, man, enjoy it while it lasts, okay? We've seen and heard the quote by now. You better get us now. You better get us now because it's coming. People killed him, but deep down inside, they also knew it was true. He's braggadocious, but he backs it up. He's exactly what UConn needs. This guy was raised by wolves. Did you hear that quote on the Stephen A. Smith show a couple of days ago? And he's like, I was raised by wolves, meaning Bob Hurley Sr. and Bobby Hurley. All right. He had tough love. You've heard his story by now. So Dan Hurley's seen it all. He's had to, he, he, is, he has not been a silver spoon baby. And he's proud to say that he earned it the hard way. This guy walks the walk after he talks the talk. So yes, they're right where he thought they'd be. And here they are against Gonzaga. Will this be the year that Gonzaga finally wins a national championship under Mark Few? If they do, how prophetic would it be if they get through the team that has been the bluest of the recent blue bloods in UConn? That would be appropriate for Gonzaga. I mean, these teams really match up well. UConn is a two-point favorite, and deservedly so. Gonzaga, I, I left them for dead against UCLA. I thought they were going to lose that game. Went to bed at halftime, thinking UCLA's defense, there's no way they're going to lose this game. And sure enough, the best offensive team in the country had their best second half of the season. Drew Timmy was Drew Timmy. Julian Strother. Did you see that shot he hit? Mark Few said it afterward. We call it the Jay Wright play. It's the same play that Villanova ran to win the national championship against North Carolina with Chris Jenkins. This time it was Julian Strother hitting a three to put Gonzaga ahead with seven seconds to go. Look, you're talking about two of the hottest teams in the country. You're talking about Gonzaga, the number one scoring team in the country, averaging 87 points a game. But UConn is no slouch. They're top 30 in scoring. Gonzaga is 10-0 and in their last 10 games. UConn is 9-1 and in their last 10 games. It is a great matchup. Sinogo, Hawkins, Timmy, Strother, so many storylines in this one. I give UConn the edge just because I think there's something about them. I think there are intangibles. So, like I said before, if I throw away my sheets, my mind tells me UConn, but I'm going with my heart on this one. I'm sticking with the team that I picked to win it all. I'm sticking with Gonzaga. All I know is I can't wait for this game. Because my prediction, my latest prediction is this. The winner of this game between UConn and Gonzaga is going to win the national championship. That's my prediction. We'll see if I'm right. All right. So that's the UConn story. Now I want to get to another story. And with the final four about a week away, there's a celebration taking place in New Jersey at the Prudential Center. 
on the night of the NCAA championship game, Monday, April 3rd. In fact, it's a reunion. This is the second annual basketball reunion. It's the brainchild of Fred Hill Jr. He is known throughout the coaching circles. And of course, right here in New Jersey, the former Rutgers head coach. He was an assistant at Seton Hall, Villanova, FDU, Ryder, among others. The pride of Verona. He's a good friend of mine. Freddie and I go way back to my days at News 12 New Jersey. Uh, he was on last year and he's on again this year. Fred, welcome back. How are you doing, my friend? Well, Brian, it's it's great to be back with you again. And uh, this time of the year, nothing better than March Madness. And, you know, to culminate it for us with the basketball reunion of the night of the national championship game at the Rock, just a very, very special evening that we can truly celebrate what March Madness is all about and the history of New Jersey in that March Madness and the tradition and history of the great players and coaches from New Jersey throughout high school basketball, college basketball, NBA basketball, just really, really proud of what this state offers to the game. Oh, this state, I, I've said it since my days of covering high school sports. I mean, this state pound for pound, you know, can can go up against any other state, you know, maybe not California or Florida in some instances, but in every sport, they produce, you know, professionals and Hall of Famers, and you nailed it with basketball. Uh, for those fans who are listening who, you know, want to know a little bit about this, in a nutshell, here, here's the basketball reunion. All right, Fred Hill, uh, this is his brainchild. He started this. It, it's a reunion, and that's exactly it. So, first of all, it's open to anyone in New Jersey from Cape May on up to Montvale, who to Mawa, who who wants to join. And it's a celebration and a collaboration, if you will. Uh, there's a hall of honor of New Jersey basketball history from the greatest players, coaches, teams, journalists, you name it, anyone associated with New Jersey basketball on all levels, division one, two, three, high school on up. And You've created this Hall of Fame honor, this Hall of Honor at the Prudential Center uh, banquet, you know, to kind of bring everyone together and honor certain people each year starting last year. Did I get it, Fred? Yeah, Brian, you know, it, it's it's uh, you nailed it. And for everybody out there, you know, as a former athlete before becoming a coach, we always talk with our teammates from years gone by. You know, I'll, I'll quote uh Bruce Springsteen, since he's a Jersey guy, glory days. You know, you want to get together and you always say, hey, let's grab a beer. Let's grab a burger. Let's get together. And invariably life happens and it doesn't happen very often for you and your teammates to get together. And rarely do you ever see guys you competed against, you know, growing up in Verona, competing against guys from Cedar Grove and Caldwell and uh, Essex Fells at West Essex High School, like rarely do you see those guys. And what we wanted to do was put together a platform to give everybody a chance to get to one place to kind of reunite, uh, tell stories, live the glory days, but at the same time, uh, honor people uh, at every level so that they get their recognition on the big time stage. You talked about high school, division three, Division two, junior college, um, you know, going right up to, of course, everybody, Rutgers, Seton Hall, Princeton, the 
the, the division one programs in the state, they get the most notoriety. Sure. We want to give everybody that opportunity, you know, and then up into the NBA, you know, once guys leave for the NBA, no one ever brings them back to Jersey to talk about what they've done for the game of basketball and their successes. So we just felt it was a great night and reunion is it. Our goal is to have representation from every school in the state of New Jersey. And I know that's ambitious and we're a long way off from that, but we've had a great first year. We're going to have over 500 people again in the building this year. We've got more high schools getting involved. We're honoring both Ramapo and New Jersey City University, Rowan, their final four teams. Those teams are so excited to come back to an evening like this. It really is a special night, and we're just hoping that it grows and grows and grows into the premier basketball event in the state of New Jersey. Yeah, it's it's a major, major you know, task and undertaking as, as you put it like that, Fred, last year, some of the inductees, you already nailed a few of them, the 65 Princeton team, the 76 Rutgers team, the 89 Seton Hall team, the 78 Montclair state women's basketball team. Those were the, you know, some of the final four historical teams. I know you inducted, you know, Hubie Brown, Pete Carrill, honoring those coaches, players, teams. So uh, this year, Mike Fratello, NBA coach, NBA analyst, Brian Hill, your uncle, uh, NBA coach, NBA analyst. And these guys also started, you know, on the on the collegiate level as well. So they're going to be honored. Uh, two of the greatest, maybe the greatest high school uh, teammates of all time on one team, Michael Corn and Jim Spinarkle. They're certainly up there with the best dynamic duos who played for the great Hudson Catholic teams. They're going to be honored. Uh, Bob Hurley Sr. So it's an impressive list. Fred, would you care to talk about uh, them and everyone else is going to be honored? Well, that's what's really cool. When you look at the tradition of history in New Jersey, uh, our committee sits down and it's all uh, writers, coaches, former athletes in the state that have a great deal of pride. And we look at the list and it's overwhelming. Um, and it's not just putting guys in that have been phenomenal because everybody has been. But again, trying to trying to spread it out and touch all the corners of basketball in the state of New Jersey. So you have Yubi last year going in, but Yubi brought Mike Fratello into the NBA, who brought Brian Hill into the NBA. So we have that New Jersey coaching tree of NBA coaches, and there's more to follow. Um, you talk about coaching legends, and we put in the winningest coaches in college history uh, last year in Mark Carino. Um, he's the winningest um, Jerry Matthews, um, just great, great coaches. Well, Charlie Brown from NJCU, he's right up there with Bob Hurley at high school level. He is a legend in terms of what he's done for so many kids. And, you know, we've got cool categories. Like you said, the one I love dynamic duos. So you got, you know, Jim Spinarkle and Michael Korn, but we've got final four refs. You know, I know a lot of people don't like the refs. I happen to love them, and we can't have our game without great refs. And we've got guys from the state of New Jersey, Timmy Higgins, Eddie Corbett, Tommy Lopes. These guys have all refereed multiple Final Fours and national championship games. Uh, something to really be celebrated. And, you know, you've got guys like Mark Taylor, who's been a high school coach here, phenomenally successful, Um you got a guy like Jimmy Runke from down the shore. You know, some people aren't going to recognize these names, but at Southern Regional, 
uh, again, extremely successful high school basketball coach. Uh, the teams that I talked about, we've got the AIAW National Championship women's team from Rutgers being honored. We've got Ramapo. We've got NJCU. We've got Rowan, who won a national championship in Division Three. You know, you can go on and on and go through the list and the people. And it's just a really special night. And to culminate it on national championship night, where we can have a big time dinner on the floor. It's an Academy Awards type celebration with a production company. Bruce Beck comes in and MCs it. We've got videos. Uh, when it's all said and done, the national championship game comes on and guys can then really get into their storytelling and reminiscing and watch the culmination of another great season of college basketball. Yeah, I think you hit it right there, Fred. It's like, you know, an Academy Awards ceremony where, where they're honored and there's videos and, and it's it's really well done and well produced. So we've talked about it so much. For those listening, how much does it cost and how can they get tickets? So we have two different levels and because we're trying to include everybody uh, sitting on the floor of the Prudential Center, which is really cool. And we've got some great New Jersey businesses that have joined with us and they bring their clients to the game. Um, those tickets are $250 a seat on the floor. Uh, you get a uh, big time filet mignon steak dinner, shrimp cocktail. Uh, like I tell people, they what's it like? It's just like going to a wedding. Uh, that's the, the level of what this dinner is all about. Uh, there's a cocktail hour. It's open bar. Um, again, guys get there at 630 and they start meeting up and telling their stories. And if you're a corporation or a company entertaining your clients, and then at about 745, our program starts. And uh, Bruce Beck is phenomenal. He runs the whole show, mm-hmm. uh, our production company and we honor these coaches for these years inductees and again they they come up and get the reward and there's a video and there's bruce talking about all their accomplishments and that takes about an hour and then the national championship game comes on and we're there till the very end and so it's really really a cool night we've also trying to include everyone have added a hundred dollar ticket where you're part of all the festivities and everything that goes on but you get a chance to sit in the lower bowl, not on the floor, actually in the Prudential Center. And you get what we call fanfare food. Like you're going to a Seton Hall basketball game or a Rutgers basketball game. You go upstairs to one of the bars and lounges and there's beer and wine and soda and water. And you get your sliders and chicken fingers and like you're at a game. And so, again, though, you're sitting right there, right in the first few rows of the stands, you're right connected to the floor, watching the ceremony, seeing people, and you're just reminiscing and getting together with people at the top of the stands as opposed to being on the floor. So we wanted to have two levels for the people that maybe couldn't invest $250 to come to a dinner. We want them to be part of this. Again, this is for everybody. We're starting to get high school seniors and their parents buying tickets. You know, we're getting alumni buying tickets. Uh, we're getting guys putting small groups together to reunite and it's a reunion. Yeah. And I, I think it's smart, Fred, right? A hundred dollars. You're still getting fed. You're still getting drinks and you're still seeing and experiencing the entire ceremony. You got $150 more. All right. Then we're going to give you the filet and everything else that goes with it and the prime seating. So 
really, really smart, Fred. And and let's face it, um, the money that's all left over, all the proceeds, we want to make this clear, goes to a great cause, the Team Hill Foundation that, you know, you you're you're running and organizing that helps support kids and and get them really on the right path, Fred. Well, you know, Brian, it's and I don't probably do a good enough job. Uh, it's not my nature to talk about my foundation and my family, and we've been so blessed in sports. But that's what really the night is. I mean, I love celebrating the basketball, and you know, I love reuniting with all those people. I, I've coached at five different colleges and universities in the state, and so yeah. really cool night for me. But really, this is a fundraiser, and we've done some really special things this year. We had. Uh, 150 kids come to an NJIT game down in Newark and get them on NJIT's campus. And these are kids that are inner city at-risk kids that maybe would never get to a college campus. And we give them school supplies in a backpack and we give them a gift. And, you know, we've had teams come, uh, kids come to Rutgers, kids come to Seton Hall. We're trying to hit every school in the state as we grow, but it takes financing and funds. And, you know, we do things in the summertime. I've partnered with a, uh, a group out in Cincinnati called Pro Camps. And we had over 500 kids go to a summer camp run by the uh, Youth Negro League. And these kids all get a chance to go play baseball. Obviously, everybody knows my dad was the baseball coach at Rutgers. So it's not just basketball with what we do. And um, we, we've put literally 5,000 kids through our programming since inception of the Team Hill Foundation. And it, it's been phenomenal. It's really great for these kids uh it's great for us and uh this is what the night is for besides again reuniting and having a great night all the money's raised go to the team hill foundation and go to supporting our programming and again if you want tickets to this monday april 3rd at the prudential center tickets are available the basketball reunion.com you can purchase them there and fred this could really be a a double special night for you because your nephew is a star guard for Florida Atlantic, Nicky Boyd. Uh, he's had quite a journey himself from Don Bosco down to Florida Atlantic. I know you were at the Garden last night when they beat Tennessee. I mean, Fred, what if he's in the national championship game playing for Florida Atlantic and there you are at the Prudential Center? What's that going to be like? Well, you know, it's 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 what this is about. So it would be really cool um, Nikki, when he was a young kid, was hanging around when I was the coach at Rutgers and at Seton Hall, and he was in the gyms, and he's a gym rat. And, you know, you dream one day that as a kid you can play in the NCAA tournament, never mind win a game, go to a Sweet 16, Elite Eight, uh, with a chance to go to the Final Four. And, like, it would be an unbelievable night. Everybody has asked me that question, like, where are you going to go? <laughs> I would love to be at my nephew's uh, championship game if he could ever make it, but we'll be watching it uh, at the basketball reunion. But he's not the only one, which is really cool. We're honoring Bob Hurley, and Danny Hurley's one game away with UConn from going to the Final Four. Well, if Danny and UConn make it, Bob obviously is going to the Final Four. Yeah. We've talked about it. We've laughed about it. And we're rooting for Danny to do it. And another inductee, Lance Miller, who, who is getting inducted for electrifying moments for hitting a uh, game-winning shot to advance Villanova. Uh, Lance from Bridgewater, New Jersey. That's right. But advance Villanova in their first-round NCAA tournament game, 
back in the day. His daughter plays for Maryland. And they have a chance to go to the women's Final Four. And I just talked to him yesterday, and he said, Coach, I'm there. We're excited. But if my daughter makes the Final Four, I'm going. <laughs> I said, Lance, you need to be there. You know, Bob's going to go. Uh, I, unfortunately, wouldn't be able to go because of the basketball reunion. But all good by me. I'll be celebrating with phenomenal people in the state of New Jersey, fans that are all rooting for a young kid that grew up on New Jersey basketball, started his career at Don Bosco, transferred to St. Mary and Rutherford. No one was interested in him. Went to a gap year program out in Indiana, developed a bigger, stronger Florida Atlantic came in, loved his basketball IQ, loved his gym rat mentality, took a shot on him, and he's developed into one hell of a basketball player. No question. Congratulations to uh, to Nick. Obviously, best of luck to him as they try to beat Kansas State and get Florida Atlantic to the Final Four for the first time in their history. Had 12 points and eight rebounds against Tennessee, so quite a story there. Fred, before we go, I want to ask two more questions, all right? These are basketball questions. Number one, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson is a place that you also coached at. And what was it like seeing their run and seeing what Tobin Anderson did for my money? I mean, I don't know every program in division one history, but to go from four wins to, you know, beating Purdue and winning an NCAA tournament game is pretty miraculous. How about the job he did? Now he's at Iona and, and putting fairly Dickinson on them on, on the map. Well, it's just absolutely phenomenal, and, you know, it's historical. Historical in the fact that second 16 to ever beat a one in NCAA tournament history. Historical to go from, you said, four wins to getting to the NCAA tournament, winning a game in the NCAA tournament. I don't think people realize how important it was that he brought people with him from a Division II level, that were able to make the adjustment and lead them on that journey. Um, guys that have been with them, guys that knew him, the continuity, just what he did just doesn't happen and and probably will never happen again. Um, just made a, a, a phenomenal run. Great guy, got to know him, great coach. And, and again, this is what happens. Like, haven't had the pleasure of coaching for Tom Green at FDU for seven years uh, 1998, we were fortunate to win the league. Had a great player by the name of Elijah Allen. Love Another that team, Fred. Love that Chris team. Turner. And, you know, we go and we're a 15 seed, and we thought we should have been a higher seed. Had a hell of a year. And we go and play UConn. And it's a 15-2. And, you know, back then, most of those games weren't even close. And, you know, we went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them right down to the end. And I think we lost by six. And uh, just a great game. Elijah Allen at 43. But, you know, it's funny. People ask me about, you know, how teams can compete. We were old. And FDU was old. Those Division II kids had played for four years already. So they were fifth-year kids. And we had a group of fifth-year kids. And UConn was very young. They were all sophomores. Well, we lose. Great season. The next year, that same group of UConn players goes and wins the national championship. Yeah. So what Tobin did for FDU and for the former players and the coaches and 
the pride that we all have had in working there and going to school there. He brought that back and took it to a whole nother level. And it was just a great run. And I couldn't tell you how excited I was sitting there out in Columbus watching FDU beat Purdue. And then, of course, like always, it has happened in my career because I've been so aware, torn between watching my nephew and FDU play. But <laughs> as I said to everybody, I can't lose. I'm walking out of here a winner no matter what happens. Yeah, amen. And, and listen, you might have to put that Fairleigh Dickinson team you know, into the basketball uh, ring of honor uh, over there at the Prudential we're, Center we're, in the future. We're absolutely going to uh, uh, put them in the Hall of Honor with uh, the St. Peter's team from a year ago, with the Princeton team from this year. Um, we've already started talking about categories for next year, and, you know, we're going to have Jersey March Magic. And it's for those teams that have given Jersey and the Jersey feel the magic that happens in March. Fred, one last question, all right? And it's been it's been great talking to you about this and, and your, your mind, you know, you've been around the game your entire life. Here's a question. I want to see what your answer to it is. In an era of NIL, right, name, image, and likeness, you're not coaching, but you were known as a masterful recruiter and recruited some of the, the best players uh, around from New York and New Jersey to FDU and two Seton Hall and two Rutgers and two Villanova. What would you do in this landscape? How would you handle NIL in this day and age? Have you thought about that? Yeah. And I've been asked about it by my, you know, colleagues in the coaching profession and, you know, it, the landscape is definitely changing and, you know, I, at the highest level, you know, the way recruiting used to be, you develop relationships with coaches, with players, with their families. And you kind of started at a young age. And, you know, you, you hope that that relationship they saw, that there was a great fit between them and the institution you were working at. And, and I think that was really part of the key. The higher the level you go now, the name, image, and likeness is just going to allow people to really, and I'm all for the kids and the families, some of these kids, being able to really make a living and, and make money. Um, and so uh, I think you're going to see the good schools with more money continue to be good. I think it also, though, offers some of the high major schools that really were never in that same pool of recruits that you were going after, have some money, and now you're going to spread the talent wealth out for the lower level schools. I think you still are going to build relationships and get kids to come play for you the way, uh, you know, I did it at Ryder and at FDU and um, at the University of Maine, uh, Lehigh, some of the, the lower level uh, to mid-level Division One programs. But the fear I have is when you get a kid, an Elijah Allen uh, at FDU, he wouldn't still be there and wouldn't have finished his career with the NIL. Excellent so point. The recruiting now changes. As a coach, we always say, we want to be old. I just gave you the example when we were at FDU and what FDU just did, they had 50-year kids. They had older kids. Well, now the big-time schools are going to go and get a great player that developed, that needed time. My nephew's a great example. No one wanted him out of high school. I got to believe at the end of the year that there's people that would say, hey, if Nikki Boyd wanted to go in the transfer portal, he's going to have a chance to go to some pretty big time programs. Um, 
I'm not saying he's doing that because I'm dead set against that. Um, but this is what's going to happen. And I don't know how I would manage that landscape. And I don't know where the trajectory is going to be in the college basketball recruiting scene both ways. And so I think they change. have to have get it under People, control, though, Fred. They, they have to. I, I would like to think so. I don't think we have enough information just yet to see how this is going to shake out. You know, the people don't talk about the backside of it, too, with the transfer portal. There's so many kids in the transfer portal. There's a lot of kids the last two years that couldn't jump to a Division One program, and they were in a Division One program. There wasn't enough spaces. And some of those kids wound up having to go Division Two. Some of them had to go to junior college to try to work their way back. So I think as people start to figure this out, I think everything will slow down a little bit. We'll get a clearer picture of how this is going to develop. And then we can start to say, okay, how do we make this advantageous for everyone and make sure that these kids, lower level schools, everyone's getting a, a pretty good shake at running their program and developing kids and keeping them and for the big time players to be able to go to the big time schools they want to go. It's going to be very interesting. And I don't think anybody has an answer today. Oh, it's, it's not easy, but I think eventually there needs to be some level, more level playing. Look, the field will never be level, but at least make it more equitable for everybody instead of the rich getting richer. Uh, Fred, listen, I wish you uh, continued success. The basketball reunion taking place April 3rd, Prudential Center, the night of the national championship game for tickets, go to the basketballreunion.com. You can also go to teamhillfoundation.org. I uh, hope I got it all in there, Fred. Thank you. And, you got and it keep all doing in the great my, work. Well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, again, uh, hope we'll see you on Monday night if you're not busy. All right, Fred. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, always good talking to Freddie Hill and, we go way back, and it's just great to see what he's done with this event. Once again, Monday, April 3rd, the Basketball Reunion. Go to thebasketballreunion.com, as I said, or, of course, teamhillfoundation.org. It goes to a great cause. This has been a fun show. I hope you enjoyed it, too. Remember, please follow us. Tell your friends about the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Go over there. Give us a review and keep spreading the message of what we're trying to do here. We will have another episode for you very soon. Until then, my name is Brian Dinovellis. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time right here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long. So long.